I'm Michael Barber, and this is The Accomplishment Podcast. Jack Russell is famous for his world-class wicketkeeping, playing for England in 94 international matches between 1987 and 1998. He scored test centuries against Australia and South Africa and broke the world record for the number of dismissals in a test match. Known for his floppy white hat which he wore to every match, his distinctive eating habits and his love of tea, he was sometimes seen painting while waiting for his turn at the crease. After retiring from international cricket, Jack carried on playing for Gloucestershire, winning six trophies in five years. But once he'd hung up his hat and gloves, his focus turned to painting. His obsessive nature came to the fore once more, and last year he held a highly successful exhibition at the Chris Beatles Gallery in London. It was an exhibition which I loved. I'm always interested to find out how people who excel and accomplish things in one field transfer their attention to another. What had Jack learnt from top-level cricket that had helped him go on to excel in art? I began by asking Jack first about his outstanding career as a sportsman and as almost certainly the best wicketkeeper in the world at that time. You don't realise it at the time, and there were many other great wicketkeepers around the world, but you just do the job the best you can with the abilities you've got and see where it takes you. So my two ambitions in life were to play for Gloucestershire and then go and play for England. I read somewhere that back in the 70s, you were watching television and you saw Alan Knott take a catch off Alan Gregg, caught the, uh, Aust- the Australian Open McCosker, and you said to yourself, I want to do that. Is that, is that a true that story? Is, that is exactly, yeah, yeah. Alan Knott was one of my heroes, along with Bob Taylor, uh, two best wicketkeepers in the world. And I just decided that that's right, I'm going to play for England. I want to do that. That's what I want to do. But Were I, you a wicketkeeper at the time in school? Well, or? Yes, I was. I didn't keep wicket for the school because a guy called Pedro Jones was the wicketkeeper at school and he was the school hardener and you couldn't get the gloves off him and even the teachers were frightened of him. <laughs> so I was school captain. So like most wicketkeepers, I thought I could bowl a little bit, but I was a batsman mainly. Opened the batting for the school and captain the school side, bowled a little bit. That was me. And then I started playing club cricket, Australia Cricket Club, brought in a youth team, first time in 150 years. And on a Friday night, I, I used to feel down at fine leg and third man and get bored. And that just frustrated me a bit. And probably we'll get onto the art a little bit. And that's how the art started uh, through boredom. And I, I've got to be doing something productive all the time. I've got to be involved. Although I'm a bit of a recluse and I do like my solitary parts to my life. And I try and get the balance right. There's a kind of reclusive element and there's a restless uh, element. Yes, yeah. which I don't know if that's bipolar or what the technical term is. I don't know. But I, I don't like publicity or being in the limelight but I like the stage of a cricket field I like the stage of here at Taunton or Bristol I love the Lord stage you know that just never I've never had any fear of that at all I love that just wanted to be out there and if I come to your test career a 10-year period in which you played 54 four games for England people say you were the best wicketkeeper around at the time and any other team would have wanted you as their wicketkeeper did you have to practice a lot how did you get that good? 
Derek Pringle once said to me, Jack, you've got OCD. I didn't even know what OCD was when I was playing with England. He's a university boy. I thought, oh, whatever you say, Pring is well, fine. But I didn't even know what it was. Basically, I'm either 100% or not. I struggle with half-hearted. It's an addiction. So wicket keep, I have to give it my best shot. To answer your question is, I practice all the time. I know there's, there's a certain amount of natural ability in there. I accept that. I think I've got, I've come to realise I've got a good hand-eye coordination if a cup slips out of my hand, I can I can catch it before it's gone a foot without thinking. And I used to catch the ball on feel. My gloves were very thin, no padding. Uh, if you didn't catch it right, the fast bowlers, it hurt. I didn't even see the ball sometimes. I just caught it on feel. In a nutshell, I did practice a lot obsessively. One of the stories I tell in my book, Accomplishment, is Dennis Bergkamp, who is obviously a brilliant footballer. There's a bit in his autobiography where, as a teenager, he's out in the streets in Amsterdam, he chooses a brick on this wall that he's going to hit, and then he hits it with his right foot repeatedly, and then he gets to be able to do it with his left foot, and then he gets to be able to do it with the outside of his foot, the inside mm. of his foot. You used the word obsessive, obsessive yeah. practice. Yeah. And then later on when he was at Arsenal, he stayed after training. Robin Van Persie, who was his colleague at Arsenal for a while, talks about look, watching out the window after they'd finished a training session, and Bergkamp stayed to play on with the youngsters. And Van Persie thinks, well, I'll watch till Bergkamp makes a mistake with a pass. And he didn't make any mistakes no. for a whole hour. No. That's, that is obsessive, isn't that it? Is but, obs- it but, yeah. but it but does make you a better player. The obsessive thing, I think it just dawns on you that actually, and Daley Thompson hit home once because he said, I even train on Christmas Day. I even, so, because I know they're not training. My competitors aren't training. From a wicket-keeping point of view, it was always me against the ball. Wherever the ball went, I had to get it. So forget everything else, and that becomes a process thing, which I learned later in later careers, which is maybe why England started to win at penalties. You, you, you forget the pressure, shackles, and you look at the process of just putting the ball in one spot and being totally committed to doing it. And I, I'm a firm believer in the preparation is a lot. It give, doesn't just give you the skill, but it also gives you the mental satisfaction, even subconsciously, I think, that you've done the work. I just want to make sure that we pick up the point you made about Gareth Southgate because he and England winning penalties, that whole point about practising and saying to the players, only have one penalty and just do that. Exactly. And his phrase is, it gives you the best opportunity to exercise a skill under pressure. Correct. And it's the pressure bit that has to be addressed because that's an external thing. And I watch the snooker quite a bit and it fascinates me because it's 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 a precision game under pressure. But if you're knocking a ball in, it's the same ball you're knocking in down the club when nobody's watching and it's not on TV. The same angle, same shot, same whatever. But it, it, it suddenly gets interfered with with the surroundings. Yeah. And uh, one thing I learned at Gloucestershire a lot, I look back and I realise I was doing the process. And that's how I learned to deal with the pressure of playing for England was because in 89, it's a different thing now. If you had two bad games, it's the end of your career. Um, when playing the Aussies, it's the Ashes. So, and I, I sort of just tried to think, I'm just catching a ball. I'm just catching the ball. It's me and the ball. Nothing's changed. Everything else around it is peripheral. And the other thing I'm quite good at, really, is I'm quite good at focusing, having a wide focus and then really focusing in and going back out and focusing in. And that's a wicket-keeping thing. And you have to learn to do that. So there are times of intense focus and there are times of focus that's a little bit more relaxed. And it's getting, those, getting the balance of that right. But I am obsessive. I have to admit to that. 
I, I think, think that's part I, of it. I think it's part of being an elite sport. Maybe it's got to be, hasn't it? It's got to be. Give us a highlight of one of those Ashes innings that well, do, that you've, ev- got, you've I, got a couple of fifties, didn't you? I did, but I got a hundred at Old Trafford, and everyone talks about the hundred. But actually, the sixty-four at Lords in the second Test match, when it looked like I might be dropped because I didn't score any runs, wasn't my keeping. I got 64 not out. I still see that as the most important innings of my yeah. career because that led on to the 100, a couple of test matches later and I had a good series with gloves and bat. Um, we used to about 30-odd players. It was like every test match was a different team. So there was no way we were going to be a team. You know, it was, it was every man for himself in those days because if you played two bad tests, generally your career was over and you had to play under that pressure. On wicketkeeping, you, I, I think, had the record in test matches for the number of victims by wicketkeeper in test cricket was it six victims in one innings is that it, right? yeah it was a, there was a world record at johannesburg that's the game where mike atherton batted a couple yeah, of days i'm going to come to that one okay yeah. um so you got you got six catches i in, got it, yeah and innings. i got i got 11 in the game uh which is a world record at the time and the first guy to congratulate me in the change room was bob taylor from derbyshire right. uh whose record i'd broken right yeah, he was on the ground that day which is unbelievable because that was in south africa and he was out there with a the touring party so that was a really special moment yeah, but that's down to the bowlers a lot, really. You, I, I can't take a lot of credit for that. Is there a particular dismissal, either in that test or some other test, which you're proud of? I took a diving catch at Johannesburg off Angus Fraser, and I'd been working on that dismissal for two years with Alan Knott. And there was another stumping, actually, in a county game, the ball turning through the gate off the Ospinner that I'd been working on for a year and a half with Alan Knott and the ball, I was waiting for the, that ball to come. Right. So if that's not obsessive, I don't know what is, but that's the type of process you're going through. Yeah. I've got to say my best dismissal stood up. Uh, there's, there's a couple, and I'm sorry to mention this because one of them's against Somerset, but I stumped... We're uh, generous people in Somerset. You're good people, you're good people. <laughs> I did a stump in, that, uh, in a test match at uh, Sydney in 1990-ish. Uh, of Gladstone Small, Dean Jones down the leg side, which looked spectacular and it was great. And it wasn't, it was a rare thing then to be doing that. And you um, were standing up. Standing up yeah. to Gladstone. And I didn't ask Gladstone. He, yeah. And he, he took, yeah. I just did because Dean that. Jones, it's on YouTube actually. Yeah, yeah. I've seen um, it. Dean Jones kept, and Dean Jones, great player, kept wandering down the pitch. And I thought, well, I'll just, I've got to do something about this because he's, he's being a pain again. And I'll stand up and it just happened. It wasn't a planned thing, it just happened. Uh, but there's one dismissal against Somerset at Bristol and a BH. Cup game, can't remember if it's quarterfinals or it might have been a round, a round robin game, where I'm stood up and there was a deflection to a left hander, and I just caught it because I had soft hands and I caught on feel. I just caught it on the very far left hand side of my glove, but I'd been practicing those dismissals with John Bracewell right. every day for a year or two, like constantly every day, yeah. religiously. Even if we just do five minutes, I just practice because it's a feel thing, it's a relaxation thing. Yeah. And the interesting thing about keeping wicket and having good hands is you have to have aggression, but part of the process is the relaxation. So when Harry Kane missed that penalty... Against France. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It was almost like he was trying too hard. Yeah. You know, I've got to make sure it's too much. It's getting that balance right. Um, And and for a wicketkeeper, that's a key thing because tense your thumbs up, you can't have that because you get hard hands. You were famously at the other end when Mike Atherton batted for two days at the Wanderers in Johannesburg in 1995. That's a very famous uh, episode in, in Test cricket. It'll probably never be repeated uh, given the way the game has changed. But but what was it like to be at the other end for Mike Atherton through that amazing uh, partnership? Well, it was amazing to see him and what he was doing because... Did he speak to you between Well, the, the interesting thing was... And we're going back to process again. I walked out to the wicket 
And I just looked into his eyes and I thought, and it was the usual, good luck, good luck, Jack, you know, get stuck in. I looked in his eyes and I thought, this guy's going to do this. He'd already been batting for a day, right? Now somebody needs to pull their finger out and stay with him the other end. Right. That was my immediate thought. And I thought, right, Nort not out. Nort not out at the end of the day. And I got in there before lunchtime. So it was four and a half, five hours, whatever it was. If I could be Nort not out at the end of play, I've done my job because I know he's going to do it. That was the only thing. How do I do that? Right, just survive the first ball. Okay, that ball's out of the way, just survive the second ball. That ball's out of the way, just survive the next ball. Ball by ball by ball. And I just did it ball by ball because you can't think, God, I've got to survive five hours here. Yeah. That's just too overpowering. And you do the same thing when you're chasing a big score with runs. You know, you just chip away, chip away, tens and fives and tens. It was the same thing. But I was inspired by him because I knew he was going to do it. He gave me the confidence to do it. He just showed it in his eye. I knew, I knew. So he didn't and have conversations between them? Not he, a lot. Because he, he was in a zone. He was in a zone. It was just keep going. And I had a thing, of, for good luck, I used to tuck my partner's pad right. between overs. I'd tap it and say, good, keep going, well done, keep going. We'd say the same thing. But I did use a previous experience. I just kept saying to him, remember Barbados. So, okay, Jack, right, right, remember, you're great. But what happened was about a few years before, uh, we're talking about five or six years before I batted, I was night watchman in Barbados for England and I'd batted most of the last day and we got bowled out at, with 10 minutes to go. And I got out with about an hour to go. It was a grubber from um, Kirtley Ambrose. I put that in my defence, virtually unplayable, but with the new ball, which I thought, well, I'll play a bit higher. It's the new ball. And then it went straight on the ground. Um, and then we lost. Devon Malkin, bless his heart, batted half an hour at the end, but we still lost. And that, I didn't want to go through that pain again. Right. That the pain of that that drove me. We're not doing that again, and this time I'm going to do it. Um, so I just kept saying, "Remember Barbados." Anyway, we sat in the change room afterwards. We'd come off. It's like we won the game and everything. We sat there and we, I've got a cup of tea. He's got beer. We just raised each other's, and uh, I, and he just we just put the thumbs up, and he, and he said. Jack Barbados, Barbados. I didn't bloody well play in Barbados. <laughs> what was that? I said, what was that? I said, I said, no, but it kept me going though, didn't it? And that was, uh, so that was sort of part of the motivation. And it was just a ball by ball thing. That's nice. Again, I didn't know I was doing process, but it was a process. And when you've been through a, a batting partnership, in this case, like that with a particular individual, Mike Atherton, yeah. does it stay central to your relationship with him forever? I mean, if you meet yeah. him now, is that I, the first thing you think of? And I, yes, and it gets mentioned. There's two things that people remind me of constantly one is my hat yes. which had the whole of my career so i suppose that's another obsessive thing um that's a, that's a podcast story on its own we won't yeah. go into detail on that but everyone knows about the hat and the other thing is johannesburg but i'll tell you what the bottom line was when i walked to the wicket i didn't want to let him down and that's a reoccurring thing and if you look at teams i can go back to when we were winning quite a bit of gloucestershire for four or five years if you were at fine leg or third man you didn't want to give away two runs you didn't want to let your team down and if you go to the military, you talk to I talked to a lot of military people. I was with one guy yesterday, SAS in the Falklands, and um, I both in the painter's portrait. And the bottom line is, yeah, it's king and country, and it's all Falkland Islanders. We're going to get them free, and all that. but the bottom line is, he didn't want to let his mate down sat in the trench next to him, you know, and he didn't want to let his squadron down. And I, you can see it in teams. You see it with the England football team. See it with teams that want to break, bust a gut to make sure. They they don't let the mates down, and that's a big th that was and that was the theme that day. Yeah, Athens are going to do this. I cannot let him down. 
And you, you took the conversation on to military, because I know you, you do work with local regiments, don't you? And you've been interested in military history. And part of the pattern of accomplishment, quite a lot of what you're saying is that in team sports like cricket, many of the qualities that make military successful apply in team sport. It's, it, do you just want to elucidate yeah. that a little bit more? I've, I've learned that. I mean, although if you speak to Dominic Cork about Johannesburg and batting with Mike Atherton, he'll say he thinks, I thought I was Michael Caine in Zulu at Rourke's Drift. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, that was, and I've got to say, because I, th- I, I visited a lot of the battlefields during that tour, Rourke's Drift, Isandlwana, some of the Boer War sites. And I've got to admit that actually it probably was part of the insp- part yeah, of the inspiration. I don't, you know, yeah, I, I, but I, when I was growing up, I thought I was going to be a soldier. You've got to be very careful what I say here. I'm not a natural team person. You give me a job, I'll do it. I can do it on my own. I don't mind solitary. Same with the painting and the art. It's a, it can be a solitary thing. I don't mind that. I'll never, I'll never be, unlo- I'll never be lonely. Churchill once said, if you're an artist, you'll never be, you know, you'll never be a lonely person because you've got your painting. So I'm not a natural, but I had to learn to become a team player later in my career at Gloucestershire because I had to make sacrifices. I had to do things I was against my beliefs a little bit in terms of I became less defensive, more attacking as a wicketkeeper. Um, I used because there was a team, Jack, we need to stand up to the fast bowler. I said, well, I can do it, yeah, but I go, what about the four buys? What about if he nicks it, hits me on the arm? I didn't catch, you know, he said, don't worry about that. And I think this is what Gareth Southgate has done. They've taken away the fear of, of the mistake. Yeah. And they've allowed the uh, skill to flourish. We joke about it, but there's a bit of a wicketkeeper's union, a bit like goalkeepers. Only wicketkeepers and goalkeepers understand about wicketkeepers, what we have to do. Yeah. And it, so we're on that sort of slightly on the edge, mad wavelength, I don't know what you yeah. call it, on the edge a little bit, which is part of my personality probably. But... It, so I had to learn to be a team player. That thing about lifting the fear is really important. Because I, 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 I remember in my time in, in government, you, I, so I'm monitoring on behalf of the Prime Minister whether we're hitting these targets in you know four-hour wait in the A&E. I'm monitoring it through from number 10 through the Department of Health out to 200 hospitals or whatever it is. You'd say to people, well, there would be fear. What if we miss the target? And I'd say, well, draw the trajectory to when you hit the target. And they'd say, but, we, but what, if we, what if we turn out to be wrong? I said, of course you'll be wrong. You're predicting the future. Nobody's nobody's right all the time, are they? Exactly. The question is, when you're off track, not the question is not who's to blame, it's what we're going to do about it. Yeah. And getting that ability to keep the focus, not lose the importance of hitting the target, not if you're off target, say, oh, well, let's make the target a bit easier. Keep the focus, but take away the fear and just, Get the job done, and and, and, and you're focusing. Problems. And I, I, I'm not a technical person, and you know more than me. But it's like you're coming back to the process again. These are the steps we need to take to get to that target. Yeah. These are the steps we need to take to win this cricket match. Yeah. And these are all the elements that are part of it. There's a lot of complicated elements in a lot of things. Yeah. In terms of trying to achieve anything, but if you can break it down and make it as simple as possible, a bit like catching a cricket ball. If I want to field all day without missing anything, there's no point thinking about the whole day. I've just got to go ball by ball. Yeah. And the intensity increases at six o'clock, by the way, with half an hour to go, because I've gone all day. I don't want to ruin it now, do I? Yeah, and I think in sport, you were talking about the media early on, but it's certainly true in government, is that there's a lot of people out there waiting for you to screw it up. Oh, without question. And they'll they'll leap on any data that comes out. 
So you have to deal with that. You have to have the, the mindset to it. But you have to also, when, when something's going wrong, the first question is not who's to blame. It's what we're going to do to solve Correct. that problem. Exactly. It's fascinating, actually. Really interesting talking to you, Jack. But I want to get into painting because you didn't wait till you finished your career career before you started painting. You started painting much earlier, didn't mm. you? What was it that grabbed you about painting? Was was it something to do with cricket? Was it something to it, do with... It was boredom, basically a, a, a stuck in cricket pavilions with it raining all the time. Life's too short. I've got to be doing something productive every day. And I thought, well, if Rembrandt can do it, why can't I? That was my attitude at the time. It's not a, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to be pig-headed. Yeah. It was just a thought, well, it's like going to the moon. You can go to the moon yeah. if you want. People have been there, so it's been done. It's not impossible. Yeah. I just need to work out how to do it. I didn't do art at school because I was too busy skiving off playing cricket and focusing on my, my, my sport, really, because I love football as well and other sports. But everyone was saying, well, you need to learn to draw first. So I thought I'd buy a sketch and some pencils, and I started drawing. So I started drawing, not at the cricket to start with. I was too shy. But eventually I built up courage to do it on the grounds. Did you have a teacher or you just... No, no, it's t- no. Totally but what I did, I used to go around art galleries with my face one inch from the canvas. And people used to, what's that nutter? Look, what is he doing? Looking at... And my head was right, my nose was right on it, but I was just looking at the paintwork. So the detail. I was looking at the brush strokes. Right. How do they get that effect? John Singer Sergeant, you get up to a Singer Sergeant painting and it's just a mush of brush strokes. You walk five yards back, it's, it all falls into place. I need to learn how to do it. So I sketched for a bit and I, I just got picked for my first tour in Pakistan, but I only played a couple of days, so I had a lot of spare time. And so I did some sketching and the gallery in Bristol said, before I went on and I took the pictures in just to get them framed as souvenirs at home from the previous season and uh, he said oh I know you yeah you've just been picked for England yeah great do some sketches we'll come back and have an exhibition next summer so that's I came back with 40 sketches and they sold out in two days so that was the start of it then I did sketching for a couple of years and then it was the colours I was really interested in and I'd drawn Gloucester Cathedral stone by stone took me three weeks and I threw the pencil down and said right done my apprenticeship colours then I started painting Couple so you of years. literally do it stone by stone. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I did. So like Monet and Rouen Cathedral. I, I drew every I drew every brick, every stone. That is amazing. Uh, every window pane. It was like it was, that is amazing. Um, obsession again, but I was going to give up loads of times because nine out of ten canvases would go in the bin, and I thought you can't give in. You've got to keep going because every so often a couple of square inches would work out. I thought, That's not bad, and that was the light at the end of the tunnel that kept me going. And but the, the other thing was it filled in the time for me when I wasn't being productive. So on tour, and I learned later on that I, to recharge my batteries, I need to be on my own. And I didn't realise I was, I just I just did it naturally. I didn't realise that that's, I was that makeup of person, um, but that's what I did. So Atherton on tour, Mike Atherton would say, like in the West, and I say, I say, others, I don't, you know, I don't need an extra day's practice today. And you just, just look at me and go, go on, clear off, go painting. So it was therapy for me. You talked about taking the fear away from professional sports people. What about with, with drawing and painting? Is that important as well? It's important with the people that say to me, I don't know where to start. Right. Because they come to me, oh, I've got this blank canvas. And we've all been there. And initially when I first started drawing, somebody would walk past me, I'd hide the, I'd hide the sketchbook. Now, at Old Trafford in the Ashes 2005, at Old Trafford, I was on the edge of the boundary with about 5,000 people all stood behind me telling me how to paint. <laughs> And it was hilarious and it was great fun. The fear factor had gone right? because I had confidence in what I was doing and I believed in what I was doing. The same happens when I don't know where to start. What if I get it wrong? Yeah, but if you get it wrong, at least you've learned how not to do it. Yeah. So, And what happens, you're just going to throw it away or you're going to scrub it out. So there's not, nobody's going to die or anything. It's not the, you know what I mean? You're not going to lose your career or anything. 
So that fear factor does come into art as well. And I sometimes I paint pictures. I don't know how I'm going to do it. There must be something in common about concentration and focus. Right? A wicketkeeper, unlike any other cricketer, pretty much has to f- concentrate and focus right through the match. And, and you're spot on with that. And if there's one thing I am good at, probably my strength is, apart from being slightly long-sighted, so I can see the ball coming from a further distance out, I've, I've learned that. Uh, I do concentrate. I'm a good concentrator. And I, I have upset a lot of people over the years, and I don't, it, it, even my wife. You know, at various times. I walked past her at the cricket ground at Bristol once and I didn't even see her and, and she still gets on to me about it. But I was so focused. I missed my grandmother's funeral, not because I intended to, I just forgot all about it. I just, and I, I regret that because I was so focused on the match. So I have upset, I can upset, I, I, I can deal with that. I don't mind that. I can deal with that. Uh, that doesn't worry me because I can focus in on my target. And being a bit of a recluse, you can, you know, my wife says I haven't got a lot of friends. I probably haven't, but... I'm not worried about that. So I can focus. And that's the beauty of painting. When I'm painting, that that's my world. A bit like going back to the cricket ball. That's my world. So the focus element, I find, um, I'm not saying easy, but I can do it all right. There's an intensity about that, isn't there? In, yeah. In the way you're describing it. With painting, I mean, it's obviously been, it's now become the main part of your career. Um, it's the only skill i got left, Michael, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but you had an exhibition last year in, in, um, in London that, that obviously did very well. I visited, really enjoyed the exhibition. And some of your paintings are, are cricket scenes, but some of them are outdoor but landscapes, yeah. I suppose you'd call them. Does the satisfaction come from completing the painting or seeing other people appreciating the painting? Both, because, well, the problem with completing the painting is you'd never complete it. Yeah. That is the, that's always the dilemma for an artist. To have, when is it finished? They're never finished. But how far do I take it to a point where if I keep taking it further, it goes downhill and you ruin it? That happens all the time. And the artists will tell you that that is the difficult conundrum, when to stop. I get as big a kick out of people wanting to put my pictures on their walls at home as I did running out for England. I have to pinch myself sometimes. I've had two, two jobs I love doing that have paid the bills, playing cricket and painting pictures. You know, I, I count my blessings every single day and I don't take, ever take it for granted. Maybe I won't ever sell another painting. So that's always in the back of your mind. I might have to go and get a proper job somewhere. But I get as big a kick out of that because that's the biggest compliment you can get. That thing about artists never having finished yeah. anything. That, and, well, that, that's the, with sport, the game does come to an end, doesn't it? The two are the same for me, cricket and painting. You never crack it. So lady cricket will chop you down if you don't stick to the rules and you take liberties. Yeah. Art is the same thing. You take liberties, and I do it myself. I still do it. You take liberties and you go off the rails a little bit and you don't stick to what you should be doing. The end result is not what it should be and you've got to throw it in the bin. And it says to you, I told you so. Don't paint it like that. You paint it like this. But there's an element of never satisfied. Yeah. And if you're totally satisfied, I've got fear of that. What if I do paint the perfect picture? Oh, my God. Where do I go from there? I'm done, aren't I? Brilliant. I'm done. Yeah. So in it, I'm trying to paint the perfect picture, but I don't want to yeah. in the back of my mind because I want to... That wanna, might be why you don't finish some of those cameras. Maybe that's what yeah. it is. You try and get it as... There's an element of you that that's, you want to get it as best picture that you can. But you, there's always a... You always feel you can add to it, and that is the dilemma, that is the danger, and that is always like a, a monkey on your shoulder saying, go on, go on, fiddle again. I do it with portraits a lot. Got it, I've got the person, right? And then I just go... Well, I'll just touch that bit of eyebrow and then, oh, my, it's gone. And it's gone. Or you, you mess an eye up or something. And it was right the first time. It was the closest you were going to get it the first time. That's a mental discipline to say, 
I've got to stick to that. Don't, don't fiddle with it because you're going away from your technique and you're going to mess it up. Wicket keeping is basically you're seeing the whole view, ground, everything. Look, oh, it's a nice few clouds, see the spectre. And the bowler turns around and zoom back. You're zooming in. And you're not just zooming into the bowler, you're zooming into the ball. And I should do a painting of it one day. Black canvas. I, that was my vision, a blank black canvas with a cricket ball in it. And because I'm quite a visual person, I would visualise balls going in certain areas. So no ball would surprise me. So, yeah, it's an interesting... Yeah, the, the, the two overlap. And the military is the same thing. Military, I'm talking to the guys who I paint portraits of. And I think the bottom line is I've always wondered what it, it would be like to be there in the trenches or in, in the Falklands. You know, you're sat in an observation post for like two or three weeks, sat in a trench, and the Argentinians are like 50 yards away. And you've got to survive. The process of doing that fascinates me. I don't like glorifying military history. I don't glorify it at all. And my, none of my paintings of military history are glorifications. I think it is to say, could I do that? What would I do? Would I run or would I do what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. And I've learned a lot over the years from talking to soldiers, in particularly the SAS guys, who are a slightly a bit like goalkeepers and wicketkeepers. They're on a slightly, they're over here a little bit, um, and they do their own thing. God, it's all ingredients that I've not thought about a great deal, but they're all part of the makeup for getting to the successful bit and ending up with success in whatever you're doing. It doesn't have to be cricket or I think it's just in life, maybe life in general. Jack, this has been an absolutely riveting conversation. I uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for your wisdom and your thought and your ideas and the fun uh, and the profound insights into achieving things. It's um, been a it's pleasure. pleasure. It's been my pleasure too. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for listening to the Accomplishment Podcast and my thanks to guest Jack Russell. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at MichaelBarber9 and feel free to suggest guests whose stories of change you'd like to hear. There's also a book that accompanies this podcast, Accomplishment, How to Achieve Ambitious and Challenging Things, published by Penguin. Don't forget to review the Accomplishment Podcast and subscribe so you don't miss great game changers telling their stories on how to get things done. This podcast is produced by Siobhan O'Connell, thanks to her and to the rest of the team.